This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerus, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. Imagine if your business is doing $4.9 million a year in sales last year, and you lost $1.4 million. Sounds pretty bad, right? But just wait. Not only did you lose $1.4 million, you also have about $31 million in loans and are frustrated that your bank will not lend you any more money. Sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? Well, this is not actually your business. This is America. This is our government right now. And all of those numbers that I gave you are real figures. Just add a lot of zeros. So our government last year brought in about $4.9 trillion and spent about $6.4 trillion, bringing our grand total of total debt to $31 trillion. The topic of national debt and debt ceiling are a hot topic right now. And so we've currently hit our debt ceiling, but what does that mean for you and your business? Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. NapaTrax has leading edge tools and technology that your shop needs right now. Unlike the other guys, we'll be there after your installation with the best training and support in the business. Visit us on the web at NapaTrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S.com. So I was talking with a friend the other day or the other week, and somehow the topic of debt ceiling came up. I know, interesting topic, right? But I was shocked at how little people understand not only what's going on, but why it's going to affect us and probably already has in every way possible. I really think that this is one of the most pressing issues facing our country right now. But it's something that, you know, now has become a hot topic because we've hit the debt ceiling. But it's not often a topic that a lot of people have any sort of interest in, right? I guess I kind of segue that to, you know, accounting and tax and numbers. A lot of people don't get it, so they don't really understand what it is. If you don't understand what it is, you can't really, you know, pass judgment either way. Now, this is something that is one point for me, which I think is going to be an issue probably in the short term. But if not the short term, it's going to come up at a certain point. And I hope that maybe if you get some more understanding of it, Um, I don't want to say that it's going to make you more nervous, but I think it'll really open your eyes as to a lot of the way that the system works. Everything is around money. Follow the money, you can probably find the truth. This is often viewed as a political topic. And depending on what side of the aisle that you're on, you blame the other side, which is truly not the case. And just like in any episodes on this, I'm going to try to do this without any sort of political leanings. If you feel like there's a political leaning, that's on you, not on me. But we're talking about politics. We're talking about our government. You can't talk about our government without mentioning Democrats or Republicans. But in the past, Republicans generally were more fiscally conservative. However, the only time that we've had a balanced budget or a surplus was 98 through 2001. This is the only time in the last 50 years that we actually brought in more revenue as a country, as a government, than our government spent. And that was under Bill Clinton, under a Democrat. You know, if you go back 50 years from today, which puts us back in, you know, the mid 70s, which is kind of crazy to think that. But there has been no other time that they've ever had a balanced budget or a surplus. Now, a lot of those years, there was a budget deficit. It's not ever been as much as what we've been seeing in the recent years. Really, since 2001 on, we've seen an alarming increase on it. And obviously, over the most recent decade, we've seen an even higher amount. Now, some of this is a little bit tricky, obviously, right? Because a million dollars today doesn't seem like as much money as it does back in 1970. But even if you look at this stuff adjusted for time value money, 
It might not look as abnormal what we're seeing right now. It still looks out of control. But why are we surprised that the average American household is $15,000 in credit card debt when our own government makes that look fiscally responsible? To add insult to injury, though, the average American has earned their income through their own labor, right? Hey, if you go out and you work a job and you want to enjoy your life, you want to run up a credit card bills, hey, that's your choice. And it's going to be your money that has to pay this back. On the other hand, the government is not a business. Their revenue comes from you. It comes from me. So when they choose to spend money and they when they choose to spend money without any end to it, it's coming out of your pocket. And another thing is when you spend more than you bring in, you have to borrow it from someone. So not only are they spending your money, they're also spending your money to pay for their debt and pay for their interest on this. Now, if you invest in treasury bills and stuff like that, you might also be the lender and the borrower in some ways here, but it's a very complicated situation. The entire topic of this seems very weird because even down to it, governmental and fund accounting is a different kind of game. You always want to spend everything that you have, or that's kind of what we see in in recent times here. But if you break it down to a business, it's no different. Replace revenues or sales with revenues, which we'll talk about a little bit later, is mostly taxes. And on the other hand of it, you have your expenses, your operating expenses and stuff like that, which the government has a lot of, but a lot of these also go out to social programs, other countries, special initiatives and stuff like that. A budget on the surface is fairly simple. Spend less than what you make, save the reserves for rainy days or unexpected expenses. I preach that here all the time. Hey, I preach financial responsibility for your business. I preach financial responsibility for you as an individual as well. It's a fairly simple idea. Hey, you probably have friends that spend way too much money and they come into financial stress and it's a roller coaster and it's really difficult. However, if you set money aside, whether it's 10, 15, 20% of your income and say, hey, if I make $100, I'm not going to spend 100 because what do I have for something that I'm not expecting here? Building up those reserves, building up those rainy day funds not only makes you more wealthy, it also is going to make you a lot more reasonable when it comes to choices. You're not going to make rash decisions on cash flow and hopefully try to avoid as much debt or as much high interest debt as possible. So like we talked about before, the government as a business brought in $5 trillion last year, right? $5 trillion in sales, but it wasn't really sales. So that $5 trillion, where did that come from? So the government has a number of revenue streams. And if you start going down through some of these finer details, you're going to see stuff of, wait, we do this, we do that. There's a lot of really bizarre things that go on there that generate them money. However, 99% of this comes from tax revenue. And some of these statistics, I knew a lot about this. But when I started doing some research on these numbers, some of them were very easy to find. Other ones weren't as easy, and I actually had to go around to a couple different sources because as anything and nowadays, depending on where you read this one, it's going to give you a different answer. So all of these numbers are real. Some of them are going to be a little bit higher, so a little bit lower, depending on where you're getting your sources on this, but the idea is still the same. So 99% of this $5 trillion is coming from tax revenue, but what kind of tax revenue? So 99% is coming from all tax revenue. The majority of this is coming from personal income taxes. So 52% or $2.6, $2.7 trillion came from personal income taxes last year. You filed it, your friends filed it, everyone files a personal income tax as long as they have enough money to report it. 
34% of this came from payroll taxes. And so just like you, if you're an employee listening to this, about 7.5% of your paycheck goes to Social Security and Medicare. If you're an employer, small business owner listening to this, you know that you're paying the other side of this. So if you pay out $100,000 in wages, it's going to cost your employee $7,500. It's going to cost you as a business owner $7,500 for a total of about $15,000. Now, if you're self-employed, you are the employee and the employer, so it's both coming out of your pockets. But payroll taxes make up about a third of that $5 trillion total revenue brought in last year. Now, only about 9% of this comes from corporate income taxes. And it might seem a little bit strange to you of saying, hey, Hunt, why is only 9% coming from corporate income taxes? These corporations are the ones that are making all the money and stuff like that. Is this part of what you're saying of, hey, or this is part of what people are saying of, hey, corporations are not paying any sort of tax, which is not true in the slightest sense. Um, corporate taxation, if you ignore credits and some other strange things that some of the uber large businesses have, Corporate taxes are very straightforward at this point. It's a flat 21% tax rate, no matter if you make $10 or $10 million. Now, if you're an S corporation, if you're a partnership, if you're a sole proprietor, you are not a corporation. When we talk about corporate income taxes, we are only talking about C corps here. So I imagine there's very few people here that are a C corporation. Now, if you look at publicly traded stocks, all of them are C corporations. Maybe not all of them, about 98% of them. Now, where does the rest of this come from? So about 4% of it comes from miscellaneous taxes, like tariffs, duties, estate tax, excise tax, and stuff like that. And 1% comes from other sources. What are those other sources? Like I said, the list is extremely long, but it looks like the big ones are selling government property. So like if you go on, you can buy a government surplus vehicle, right? You can buy a government surplus Hummer. You can buy a government surplus Ford Explorer that the FBI used. A lot of different things like that. Government also owns a lot of land and buildings that they don't always keep as well. And will sell those to the public sector. Same thing with equipment and stuff like that. So that's where the $5 trillion came in. It came in essentially from you and I and the rest of the taxpaying citizens around the country. Let's face it. Your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. You need Napa Tracks because it integrates with all the major players, including Napa ProLink, PartsTech, OE RepairLink, Epicor, TireConnect, Mitchell One Pro Demand, and more. Napa Tracks has leading edge tools and technology that your shop needs right now. Unlike the other guys, we'll be there after your installation with the best training and support in the business. Your training includes a learning management system that is tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. For over 30 years, Napa Trax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Now that we know that the government, quote unquote, earned that $5 trillion of revenue, how did they decide to spend this? And this is where it gets really tricky, right? Because this is the one where I had the hardest time trying to just say, hey, I don't want a story about how the government's spending money. I don't want a story about how you think that they should be spending it. They make a budget, right? Every single year, they come together with a budget where they agree where all this money is going. Now, 
does it actually end up those places? That's a, probably a topic for a different episode. But here's where this stuff goes. So the government last year spent $6.4 trillion, brought in $5 trillion, spent $6.4 trillion. Like I said, in a lead-in, not ideal, but where did this go? The vast majority of this, or you know, the largest amount to any single thing, is going to what we call social programs. So this is going to be Medicare, Medicaid, for the disabled, for the low income, for the elderly, um, obviously social security benefits, whether that's social security disability or social security retirement. Uh, Low-income housing, right? So Section 8 housing, stuff like that. Food stamps, WIC, and federal unemployment. So generally what we call social programs is, hey, these are what's called transfer payments. What a transfer payment is, is exactly this. It is not going out to buy stuff. It is not going out to buy equipment. It is literally transferring payments from one citizen to another citizen. You've probably heard that term transfer payments in the past and you've never really understood what it means. That's exactly what it means. The government is actually taking money from me and turning around and paying it to someone else that is unemployed, that is elderly and retired and stuff like that. It's a general idea of the way tax and the way government works. Hey, everyone's going to chip in. We're going to give it to the people that need it. Never going to hear me say, hey, this is all the ways we need to cut all this stuff out. This is not the point of the episode whatsoever. This is educational purposes only with as little of my opinion as possible. So $2.6 trillion of that $6.4 went to our social programs. $1 trillion went to our military budget. And so about three quarters of that went, goes to the actual military officially. And then about a quarter of that is to veterans, whether that's veteran uh, health insurance, whether that's veteran hospitals, outreach program, and stuff like that. The next on the list is about $1.2 trillion went to states. And so we have a multifaceted government with a lot of different levels. So right down to the, depending on where you live, even the school district has its own kind of budget. Now, most places at least have a city budget. If you're not in a city, you got a county and then you got a state and then it goes up to the feds. So some of the income tax that you pay your state, whether it's property tax, whether it's sales tax, and whether you're in a state with state income tax, that goes to fund their programs. But states aren't able to generate enough money to cover all of their programs. Or sometimes there's things that the federal government wants states to do and they say, great, we'll do this, but you better give us some money. $1.2 trillion there, $1 trillion to the military, $2.6 trillion to social programs. So there was a lot of other little small ones on there that kind of made up the rest of this. But the one big number that I wanted to throw out to you is $500 billion was spent last year to pay interest on our debt. $500 billion we spent in interest last year. So do the math on that. We brought in as a country, I'm saying we lightly, right? But I guess it is me. I helped that $5 trillion. Maybe not that much in talking about trillions, but hey, I paid my fair share. So like I said before, that's about 10% of what our overall revenues were last year. Now, if you look at this another way, we paid $500 billion in interest on $31 trillion in debt. Now, if you look at it that way, I need to negotiate like the federal government does because that's only about 1.6% interest if I'm doing my math here right. Um, if someone, if I didn't get that correct, shoot me an email on it. I was trying to put billion trillion in the calculators and got myself completely confused. But 1.6% is pretty good, right? Now, this is coming back to bite me because I always tell you guys, hey, debt is not a bad thing, only high interest debt. So maybe the government is taking this to heart and saying, hey, guys, it is $31 trillion, but it's only 1.6% interest. 
Now, realistically, what happens is about $500 billion went to interest last year on payments that they actually had to make. What ends up happening a lot of this stuff is that that interest is not actually paid. People rolled up to another one. Hey, you've invested in this treasury bills. We are supposed to pay you X amount of money in interest. How about we wrap this up into another treasury bill and you keep on rolling this forward? And that right there is why we see this skyrocketing as much as we do. Because if you don't have the cash flow to pay the interest on it, you have no choice but to wrap this up into another loan, another loan, another loan, another loan, and then we get to $31 trillion. The rest of this $6.4 trillion that we spent is spread between education and other things that are just really not disclosed to a certain degree. Because if you do the math there, we've accounted for about $4-5 trillion of the $6.4 trillion spent. That last $1.4 trillion is very hard to figure out exactly where that went. And some of that is pretty deliberate because obviously there's things that the government spends money on that they don't feel like is any of our business. Now, I might argue with that a little bit since we, the taxpayers, paid this. But hey, they didn't listen to me very much. So just like a business, it's one thing to need to borrow money. It's another thing to find someone that is willing to lend you money. I always say this, banks lend money to people that have money, not people that need money. And now I'm going to start saying banks lend money to people that have money, not people that need money, unless you're the federal government. So where did that $31 trillion in debt come from? It's really broken up into two different categories here. So $25 trillion is from the public and the remainder $6, $7 trillion is from the government itself. What do you mean, Hunt? How can a government loan itself money? Let's talk about that part next. But when I say public, what do I mean here? So about $7.5 trillion of the $25 trillion that is quote unquote public debt is foreign countries. And so the major two buyers of US debt right now are Japan and China. And when I say that, what happens there is we have treasury bills. Essentially, treasury bill is just a short term note and saying, hey, you give us money for 12 months, we're going to pay you back X amount interest at the end of the 12 months. Now, depending on what the interest rates are, how much the government needs the money, yada, 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 the interest rate is constantly changing on it. Now, why would other countries be buying our debt? Really two reasons is some of these countries operate as surplus. Some of these countries have reserves and they're saying, hey, we don't want this reserves just sitting more or less in a checking account. We want those out there getting interest. And the U.S., lucky for us, is seen as a risk-free investment, right? A treasury bill, as we'll talk about later, the U.S. has never defaulted on your debt. So if the U.S. government's saying, hey, China, I'm going to give you, you know, 12 months and I'm going to pay you 6% on this for the trillion dollars that you've given us, that's a pretty darn good deal. I don't need to be a math whiz to look at 6% of 1 trillion is a good bit of paper. So Japan and China are both at about 1 trillion each, right? So about 2 trillion of that 7.5 owned by foreign countries. UK is next at about $650 billion and the rest are other countries around the world. It's pretty interesting. If you go down that list and say, hey, what foreign countries own U.S. debt? The top three or four you're going to recognize and you could probably guess. The rest of them, I will probably guarantee that you would never expect to be on there. Did you remember Luxembourg is even a country? They're one of our major lenders. The reason is if you look at Cayman Islands, Luxembourg, Switzerland, these other countries that own a large amount of debts, these are notoriously countries that are fiscally responsible and generally have a surplus and are looking for places to invest their money. 
About seven and a half trillion of this is owned by foreign countries, foreign investments. The rest of this is owned by personal retirement accounts, personal investors, state and local pensions, and state and local agencies on this. You right now, even if you don't have any treasury bills in your brokerage account, probably have some of them in your retirement account. Like I said before, treasury bills are often looked at as a risk-free investment, and they still are looked as a risk-free investment, right? I'm not going to jinx that. And so a lot of times, especially when the regular stock market is very volatile, people flock to treasury bills. Hey, stock market lost 20% last year. You know what? Generally, the stock market gives way better returns than 5 or 6%, but I don't mind getting 6% if they can guarantee them to get 6%, not a penny less, and also not going to lose any money. So very popular for personal investors, very popular for retirement accounts. And like I said, a lot of these, you know, state and local pensions, whether it's fire, police or actual government, they obviously fund a lot of money into these treasury bills. Why? Pensions can't afford to lose money. Pensions are guaranteeing their people to have income when they retire. So generally most pensions, and it's happened in the past when they've got a risky on this stuff, they're not looking to hit home runs. They're looking to get consistent returns for their people so that they don't have an underfunded pension situation. That is a tongue twister there, but I think I got it out. That's what makes up to $25 trillion from the public. Some foreign, some domestic, some private investors, some larger agencies, um, hedge funds and stuff like that. Now, where did the rest of that $31 trillion come from, right? So like I said before, about six or seven trillion of this is coming from the US government itself. The majority of this is coming from the social security and federal pension funds. Just like I said, you know, a local firefighters union might invest in treasury bills for their pension. Well, the federal government controls their own pensions for federal employees and also for Social Security. Think about Social Security as a massive pension plan because that's what it is, right? We are paying into this just like you would a pension if you were in, you know, a union or a state and local government position. And this Social Security fund has a lot of money. Just like the other pensions on it, it cannot afford to lose money. And it doesn't want to just have it sit there and getting no interest. And so the federal government is always borrowing money from Social Security because they don't need it right now, right? A lot of this stuff is for people funding from when they retire. So they use this to leverage it. And the rest of this comes from other branches of the government buying treasury bills instead of sitting on excess reserves, uh, right? If I went down and I didn't even recognize some of these different names of these governmental entities, which is kind of a little bit scary, but hey, all of these agencies obviously need money to buy stuff, to fund their payroll. And when they have reserves, again, they'll lend money back up to their boss and you know continue on with their day. Now, the scary thing about this is the more and more I started reading into this, the more and more even I was surprised or enlightened by what I saw. It is kind of scary here because if you look at this, a lot of our debt is serviced by ourselves, right? There is a lot of circular references here where if something goes wrong, it's going to affect not only people from an individual level, retirement accounts, our actual government itself. Hey, that's one thing if we get into a, some sort of issue. But what about if certain governmental branches actually crumble because they can no longer pay their employees? They've lended money to the federal government. Federal government couldn't pay them back. They go to employees and say, sorry, we invested your money. It went to zero. What are we going to do here? I don't think that's what's going to happen. But if you were looking at this like a true business, it would be terrifying. Wait, you are borrowing money from your subsidiaries and they're putting interest in yourself. And then the rest of it is coming from foreign corporations or foreign countries. Who? I'm not sure I like that. Another thing here, and I was debating on even putting this in, but 
everyone says of, hey, this country has influence. These people have influence on what our government does. And like I said before, you follow the money, you can probably find your answer. So Japan and China both have about, you know, $1 trillion or combined $2 trillion of officially on the book debt from them to the federal government, right? And so that's almost 10% of our debt. It's coming from those two countries. Now, why do you think that some of these countries have more power than others? Hey, if I'm a bank, I can ask a borrower or business to do a lot of different things because they can't say no. Hey, if you say no, they'll call your loan or I won't ever give you any more money in the future, right? And so they have a lot of leverage. Now think about it. We found that seven and a half trillion of that 25 trillion is from foreign countries. The remaining 18 trillion dollars is coming from people inside this state. So think about it, if there's a massive pension fund by a large union somewhere that is investing a lot of their money into the treasury. You don't think that that union has some pull on this? Oh, you want to get this passed? Do you want to get this rezoned? Or you want to get this contract put to you? Hey, remember who let you guys $25 billion or $500 billion? This is the scary part about this is because how can the government be independent? How can the government sit here and truly think of the best wishes of their constituents, of their population, when they're not actually beholden to us, the voters, they're beholden to the banks, which are not really banks in this case. Other than, you know, the impartiality of our government, why is this important to you? The most pressing issue right now is that we cannot cut costs or increase revenue fast enough in the short term. So why the whole episode came up and what made me think about this is we are currently at the debt ceiling right now. So what happens is think about this like your credit line. So if you go to a bank and you get a credit line, they're going to say, all right, Hunt, you're allowed to borrow up to $500,000. Anything that you want to do with that $500,000, you're fine to do. You're going to pay us interest. Now, let's say that I get to $500,000 and I was like, ooh, I overspent. I need more. Then I'm going to go back to my bank and say, hey, I need to request an increase. And they're going to come back and say, what do you plan to do this with? What are your terms of repayment, et cetera, et cetera. That's exactly what's going on right now is where you've hit the debt ceiling on this and we say, hey, we cannot borrow any more money. So if we can't borrow any more money, that means that we're going to have to, you know, essentially tighten things down, cut our expenses and make sure that we can cover it. It's not possible right now. Right. And so that's why increasing the debt ceiling is inevitable in the short term. We absolutely have to do it. Even me being pretty fiscally conservative on this knows it's not realistic to say, hey, you know what? We're going to cut out 25% of the federal budget this year and be able to cash flow this government for the rest of the year. Hey, it's something that we need to start doing in the future, but in the short term, it is just not possible. Now, another thing is, remember I talked about before, is that the debt takes about $500 billion a year just to pay the interest on the debt. If we do not increase our debt ceiling, we risk defaulting on our debt, right? And this is what a lot of people have been talking about is, hey, more or less the federal government is broke right now. But the federal government is always broke. But when it comes into a crunch, it can borrow money, sell treasury bills and stuff like that. However, if we are not allowed to increase the debt ceiling on this, they can't borrow. And we risk going back to those lenders that they thought were risk free and saying, hey, we don't have it. We're short. Now, I don't think that I need to tell you this, but the worldwide impacts of something like this would be catastrophic. The government has not officially ever defaulted on debt. That's from the government themselves, right? We've never, there have been times that it has been done in smaller, more localized scales 
really the only time that they've arguably truly defaulted on debt was back in like 1868. I think Alexander Hamilton was president. I would probably tend to agree with them. If this happened in 1868, I will give them credit of saying, hey, this has never happened. Yeah, that is so long ago. And I don't even know how you have debt at that point. No computers. Hey, you owe me money. Okay. Who's going to remember that? It's a bizarre situation. However, as we know, sometimes consumer confidence is actually more important than reality of what's going on. Not of what is going on or what people think is going on or not what's going to happen or what people are afraid is going to happen. So right now what we're seeing is a really kind of build up here, right? Because the world is invested in our economy, directly invested here, right? And directly lending us money. And so everyone has all high eyes on the US right now. Are they going to default? Now, if they're going to default, then what do we need to do? Do we need to get out of there? Do we need to stop buying more debt? Think about this. If you had a business that you knew was failing, would you keep on throwing more money into it? Or would you say, you know what? I got burned. I'm going to cut my losses and move on. Now, the good thing about us being in America and the US in a position that we have, we have so much leverage. We have leverage for a lot of reasons. The US dollar is known as kind of the international currency. In most countries, I know that there's some that are trying to change that. It's really going to be hard to do that. Another thing is, is a lot of these other countries are also have a vested interest in our success. Think about it. China has $1 trillion tied up in the U.S. officially on this. So if the U.S. goes south, if the U.S. doesn't do well on it, then they are not going to get paid back. Now, how much is $1 trillion in the grand scheme of thing for China? I'm not really sure, but $1 trillion with a T is a lot of money that I don't think they're going to do just out of spite but you never know. So if the world believes that the U.S. is going to default, it makes our dollar weaker as demand plunges, which would cripple the stock market, drive inflation even higher because, hey, you used to be able to pay us $3 to import this. Now you got to pay us $6 because we don't really want it that much and jeopardize our position as the international currency as well. And this is one thing that you know I didn't really even touch on, which is even a trickier one, is... You've probably heard me talk about in previous episodes of essentially the Federal Reserve printing money. Hey, we're putting money into circulation, which is really what has caused a lot of this inflation on this. But there's also been countries around the world that have started to kind of give us a little bit of a grief about this. Imagine if you borrowed money from Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo said, hey, federal government's allowed to do it. We are not. But just like anything, hey, if there's one of them, there's going to be a certain value. If there's a million of them, obviously it's not as rare. Well, they would throw you in jail, right? That's a federal crime. As we print more money, it's actually weakening this and people don't like getting paid back with printed money. In short, I don't believe that we will default. But since we have a politically divided legislator right now, both sides are holding each other hostage, arguing over the limit and budget, right? This is the biggest thing going on in Congress right now because they're trying to argue over this budget. In reality, it's the American people that will suffer the consequences of no matter what they decide or even some of their indecision as well. So essentially, the two sides of this is Democrats want to increase taxes in order to balance the budget because they're unwilling to cut spending or decrease support to social programs. And if you read the news on it, it's a lot of hyperboles. Hey, the Republicans want grandma and grandpa to die. They think they're getting too much money and they want to cut all spending on it. And then Republicans will turn around and say, hey, Democrats want this to be a socialist country. They want everyone here and pay 70% income tax or something like that. Really, neither side of these wants that sort of things. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure that there's certain people in both of those parties that would love to see that. 
but it's just not that easy. Look at this. You, we probably cannot drive our sales or tax revenue up enough to cover this. We're about $1.4 trillion short. Now, the flip side of this, I don't see in the short term how you could majorly decrease the government spending. We've built in a completely bloated and far-reaching machine here that a lot of people rely on, and it would be almost impossible and probably extremely irresponsible to cut any number of those programs. And so realistically, there is only one way to do this. It's probably a mixture of both. But like we said, most of the revenues are coming from personal income taxes. And personal income taxes, not just employees, but also you as a small business owner. Your taxes that you pay on your S-corp or partnership or sole proprietor, that's looked at as personal income taxes. As a small business owner, an increase in taxes is going to affect you directly. And it's statistically going to affect you at a much higher rate than the average American. As a business owner, you pay sales tax, income tax, payroll tax, as well as property tax and personal property taxes. And so even though we're talking about the Federal Reserve or the federal government balancing their budget, part of this is going to be cutting spending to state, which means states need to drive more revenue, which is where this sales tax, property tax, personal property tax comes in. As a quick aside here, I always think that the idea of personal property tax is one of the craziest things I've ever heard. So if you're not in a state that's lucky enough to charge this, like here in Maryland and most other places around the country, personal property tax is a tax that you pay on the business assets that you hold, right? So if you have an alignment machine, tire racks, air compressors, lifts, whatever, you actually are paying tax just for the point of having those in your business. So yes, you have to pay income tax on the money that you earn to then turn around and pay sales tax with that taxed money to buy this piece of equipment. So we've already been taxed at least two or three times right there. And then the government's going to tax you again every single year for the privilege of having it. No one will be ever be able to explain to me on how personal property tax actually makes any sense, but off of my pedestal and personal property taxes. So if taxes need to be raised, right? So if we all agree here, we need to close this gap between revenue and spending. The only way to do it is going to be through taxes. There is no other source of this from the government. So if taxes need to be raised, it's going to be coming out of your pocket. And on the other hand, as social programs are cut to offset or lower the deficit, you're probably not going to get any of those benefits as most of those are targeted towards lower income groups and retirees, right? And so what we generally see is all tax programs generally in the public are targeted for the ultra high income. At least that's how they're done from a propaganda standpoint here. This is something that only these people, it's not going to increase it. When in reality, a lot of my clients and small business owners are generally the one left holding the bag. The upper middle class, you know, are the ones that generally shoulder most of these increase in burdens. I'm right there with my clients, right? I think that everyone, for the most part, right now pays their fair share of taxes, but there's no way around this, really, right? There is no way to look at this and say, hey, we're just going to be able to save ourselves out of this problem. Maybe in the long run, when we can say, hey, ultimately, we're going to be able to get the government spending down to this. We will not have to increase taxes anymore. But if we're going to do something about this in the short term, there's no other way than to increase taxes to some degree. Now, the big thing that is being touted right now by the federal government is the billionaire's tax, right? It's a some certain percent tax on billionaires, like true billionaires on it. Now, I don't know about that. I mean, usually what happens if you try to shoot for people that have that much money, 
They probably can pay enough money or are smarter than the people that are actually making these laws. And sometimes the people actually making these laws are consulting them on how to dodge these laws, but we won't get into that either. But what happens here is, hey, if I'm a billionaire and I'm in wherever, somewhere in the United States, I like being here. I like being able to run my business. I like the benefits that are afforded to me by being an American citizen. But if you're going to tax the ever-living crap out of me, I'll just leave, right? I'll just go claim residence in, like I said before, Cayman Islands, Luxembourg, Switzerland, stuff like that. And we see that a lot. You know, if you look in Europe, all of the professional athletes, F1 drivers and stuff like that, they all live in Monaco, right? And I'm doing air quotes on here, which I always forget is terrible for a podcast. But just like how people move to Florida to avoid the state income tax in Europe, people will claim a different country of residency because that's where their income is going to be taxed. And if there's no tax rate, they pay no taxes. Okay. So between the economy, your taxes and everything else in between, there's no way that any of this has a positive impact on your life, your life or most people in the country. And this is just trying to balance the budget. Imagine what taxes would look like if someone actually tried to reduce our national debt. So we have $31 trillion in debt. We're taking in $5 trillion. We're spending $6.4 trillion. If we actually want to pay this debt off or you know chip away at it, those numbers have to be reversed, right? We would have to have it, you know, six, six and a half trillion dollars of tax revenue, and also on the same flip side, be able to cut almost a third or 25% out of our spending and bring that down as well. I don't know if that's the plan. I would think so. Like I said, if I look at this like a business, it's saying, all right, at some point, people are going to stop lending us money. And if we created a system that relies on other people spending or lending us money, then we have a lot of people controlling our power and also a lot of people that could put us in a really bad position if they turn that faucet off as well. Ignorance is bliss. But hopefully this now makes more sense on how something at that level truly does affect you right down to the individual level. And this kind of all circles back to the conversation I'm talking about. My friend just kind of blew it off. It was like, yeah, you know, that's the government, right? That's what they do. And then I tried to explain to him. I was like, that is what they do, but it's also we are supposed to be part of that, right? We are supposed to have a choice on that. We're supposed to be able to say, hey, this is the direction we want to see this going. But at this point, it doesn't matter me, him, anyone else in this country, the government is getting $5 trillion from its own people. It owes $31 trillion to everyone else. Do you think they're more concerned about me paying a little bit or putting you know, this sort of contribution to it? Or some of these larger corporations and larger countries that have a vested interest in the success of it? And I don't like to be negative, and this should be alarming to you, because every scenario that could possibly play out of this isn't really good for us, or the country, or the economy as a whole. We have a spending problem that has gone largely unchecked for too long and the rent's coming due. Printing money just to cover our debts in recent years has resulted in historic levels of inflation. We've created a system where people rely on government programs to survive and yet still spend money domestically and internationally like it's a burning a hole in our pocket. I think that's enough uplifting talk for one day and I hope you enjoyed that. Please share with friends if you have any questions or ideas for future episodes. Please shoot me an email at podcast at Thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there. And I will talk to you all next week with hopefully a little bit more uplifting topic. Thanks. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for 
advancing the aftermarket.